Off the Cuff Franchising, Episode 8. Scratch that. Welcome everyone to another episode of Off the Cuff Franchising. And with me today, I have Joe Bordeaux, who's an entrepreneur, franchise consultant, broadcaster, and he says he's a retired executive. I don't believe it. <laughs> and and also a bit of a, a former legend in baseball. So we'll get into that. Um, thanks for joining us on the line, Joe. Yeah, it's good to be uh, speaking with you today from uh, St. Petersburg, Florida. Yeah, oh, that's great. I got. I'm trying to think where to start, but I just looking at your LinkedIn profile and seeing all the things that you've done and how you have over 30 years of experience. Was is it with Valpac that you have that? Or yes. Um, mm-hmm. I want to just know, back when you were a kid, did you think one day I'm going to be a franchise consultant and have all this experience? <laughs> Where did you start from? What did you want to do? Well, I, the, the original, uh, my original plan was to be a, a history teacher. And uh-huh. I went to the University of Virginia and uh, studied uh, to teach in secondary schools and got actually got a certificate. Yeah. Uh, did my student teaching, but then uh, made a last-minute diversion into um, a full-time uh, radio job. Uh-huh. I had worked uh, my way through school at the local radio station in Charlottesville, Virginia, and uh, so instead of teaching, I went over and worked at a small station in the Shenandoah Valley for about five years yeah. and got a good deal of experience in sales, advertising sales, and uh, in broadcasting. So that's kind of where it began, but then... Um, I moved uh, about 100 miles east to Richmond, Virginia, and then received a package of coupons in the mail uh, called Valpac, and uh, my life uh, changed. (laughs) Oh, right. Oh, wow. Because you've gone on an entrepreneurial career. Was that in your family? Do you come from a line of entrepreneurs? No, I, I really didn't know what an entrepreneur was, probably, in 1976 or 77. Yeah. Um, I, uh, my you know, grandfather uh, owned his own business in Michigan. He was a general tire distributor, but uh, I don't really know anybody else in my family who had a business background. And, and for that matter, I never took a single business uh, course in college. Uh-huh. Uh, so I, I really didn't intend to, to uh, become a business person. That's interesting. I love asking people this question at the beginning just to find out what their yeah. origin is because I think for some of the people listening who might be thinking about starting their own business, one of the thoughts might be, well, I don't come from a business background mm-hmm. or they've mm-hmm. or they've grown up with in school is you know, go to school, get a job, mm-hmm. and that's it. So it's good. It's interesting hearing that. So you say that Valpac changed your life. Would you mind telling us a bit about Valpac? Well, Valpac was a company that was founded here in St. Petersburg, Florida, in 1968 by an individual entrepreneur uh, named Terry Label. And uh, he basically saw some other companies here in the United States uh, doing uh, what was called cooperative direct mail, uh, specifically a company called Carol Wright that did uh, cooperative mailings for consumer packaged goods uh, coupons here, such as Procter & Gamble and people like that, large yeah. companies. And he got the idea, he just kind of wondered, well, if this concept works with national advertisers, why wouldn't it work for the local dry cleaner, um, or, you know, the local restaurant, uh, yeah. local service provider? And so he uh, 
you know, uh, took it upon himself to figure out how printing worked and how the post office uh, worked mm. uh, here in St. Pete. And he walked up and down the street in Clearwater and uh, uh, found uh, 15 or 20 uh, local uh, merchants that would cooperate, each putting a coupon in the envelope, sharing the postage cost. Uh, uh-huh. They put it out in the mail, and the businesses got great results. And uh, so that's how it all began. Yeah. And uh about 10 years later, I was uh, going to buy mailbox in Richmond, Virginia, and I picked out this envelope, and I opened it up, and it had a coupon from, you know, keep in mind, I'm a couple of thousand miles away from Florida at yeah. that point, and, and uh, you know, I found my local pizza place, and my local dry cleaner, and the local pet groomer, and, and, and it had a return address to Florida, and I'm thinking, well, how could this possibly happen that I would have coupons in my neighborhood? And so I got curious about it, and I and I just called the phone number, found out more about it, and yeah. uh, became a, a distributor, an independent distributor of the company. Um, and uh, um, with with a partner, we uh, built over the next 15 years a pretty large uh, sales organization, uh, acting as distributors and later franchisees for Valpac in. Uh, Virginia and West Virginia, Tennessee, and uh, a little bit of Ohio. And uh, that lasted until the early 90s. Wow. So you just were curious, and then that turned into a whole new career for you. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it was a good concept because having come from broadcasting, which, as you know, you know, the signal kind of goes everywhere. This mm-hmm. was a you know targeted form of advertising where it obviously exists today across the United States very successfully still. But it was I recognized that it was really serving local businesses in a unique way because it was it targeted advertising to the neighborhoods most likely to produce business. Yeah, and it was also measurable because it was coupons, so that an advertiser could make an investment and they could uh, calculate their return on investment. So that was the whole concept, and um, the concept is now delivered in the mail and uh, uh, over the Internet, of course, yeah. and mobile. And uh, But it's still the same concept. It's mm-hmm. uh, really providing local businesses with a measurable form of, uh, of advertising. Wow. Did you find that most businesses were immediately got it and they were open to it, or did you find that, did you have any resistance from any kinds of businesses? Well, there, there was, in the very early days, there was a lot of resistance because, uh, you know, nobody else was doing it, and so, you know, you had some businesses just didn't want to be the first to do anything, mm. or, you know, there had been some well-publicized scams where, where promoters would come into a particular town, collect up uh, advance deposits, and then depart and never provide any service. So, yeah. you know, you had to you had to uh, show some credibility, and um, uh, you know, but, but one by one, people would try it, and then they would refer others, and mm. and uh, you know, the business business grew, and uh, you know, so it's now down near fifty years old, and. Uh, yeah. um, so it, uh, you know, it was an interesting uh, process. Now, back in those, for, during that period from 1978 to 91, yeah. uh, my partner and I also discovered another company, which uh, is in the UK, uh, uh, Fast Signs. Yeah. And uh, we were um, among the first or second or third franchisees of that company mm. in 1988 and, and built um uh, five stores. My partner continues to operate them in Richmond, yeah. um, and um, um, that was an overnight sign and lettering a franchise operation yeah. uh, that is now owned by Focus Brands, Work Capital, and 
uh, is a very successful company with several hundred uh, store locations throughout the world. Wow, it's because I'm I'm learning about the, these two companies you're mentioning, but what mm -hmm. I'm intrigued is just how spotting it because looking at franchising. One of the previous interviews I did was looking at whether what kind of person is best suited for franchising, whether it's somebody mm -hmm. who has a mm -hmm. the ability to follow instructions or somebody who's a bit of an entrepreneur. But it's looking as if you're the kind of entrepreneur who recognizes an opportunity and then replicates it in a different area. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, I, and, I, and I would say we uh, and I and we, my partner and myself, during those years, I mean, we weren't successful in everything we tried. I mean, we, we had a couple of other businesses that never really got off the ground. Mm. So it was almost as if we did better with somebody else's idea and mm. uh you know uh, where they would have the idea we would because we were early franchisees in both of these systems we had a fair amount of impact on the franchisor because the concept was really just being developed in its early stages so yeah. um you know you're you're allowed to be a little bit more um entrepreneurial in a emerging franchise system than in a you know a well established one so yeah. that was kind of you know our role but the two businesses tied together because they both were uh essentially business to business uh franchises and yeah. you know dealing with the you know pretty much the same group of local businesses one providing direct mail advertising and the other providing signage uh, for the stores all right so mm -hmm. so from your profile because you said that you took it into the mid 90s is where you and your partner built the Valpac yeah. business mm -hmm. and from the 90s until now because it says you're retired mm -hmm. when, when did you re officially retire uh, at the end of 2010. Okay. And, uh, so it was, it was really <clears throat> a period. To, in 1991, uh, the parent company of Valpac was acquired by a large uh, media company, uh, yeah. Cox Enterprises in the United States, that operates television stations, radio stations, newspapers, yeah. and, and a number of other businesses. And they acquired uh, the, the parent company. Um, yeah. And at that point, I was asked to move to, here to Florida to take an executive position with the franchisor of Valpac. So, as we said, I went to the dark side in, <laughs> in 1991. Yeah. Um, and then I uh, was promoted to president of the company in, um, ooh, boy, I, I, about 1995. Yeah. Um, and uh, so from there on out, I had responsibility for the national franchise system in the United States and Canada. The sales force, um, and also for most of those years, the uh, manufacturing facility, printing facilities, and all of the hundreds and thousands of employees that we had uh, producing uh, the direct mail advertising across the country. So I kind of went from a small business to a much larger um, business yeah. um, in terms of leadership and did that until I retired in uh, 2010. All right. And then from 2010 until now, what have you been doing what have you been getting up to well i you know i i it, i one one of the things i did get from my family was my father and my grandfather had retired relatively early my grandfather was actually a postal letter carrier which is kind of a <laughs> um interesting uh connection yeah uh, but my dad my dad was a, a government employee writer editor with the um um uh, Department of the Army yeah. as a civilian for many years, and and they, they both retired, uh, you know, by like fifty-seven, fifty-eight, fifty-nine years old. So, yeah. I, um, I all the way along, I, I hoped that I would. 
be able to put myself in a position where I could do that. But mm-hmm. I really didn't retire. Um, I had an office uh, uh, built up in, upstairs in my house. Uh, you know, I had a file cabinet. I had all yeah. the, all the equipment I needed in order to to start doing something. Yeah. And uh, I start. I began by consulting for Valpac. Yeah. And then that led to other. Um, connections with franchise companies, uh, advisory board positions. I, I work with uh, College Hunks Hauling Junk, which is a junk hauling franchise in the United States. Yeah. I work with Front Burner Brands that operates uh, several different restaurant uh, concepts. Yeah. Um, a, a vendor to the franchising industry, Benetrends, I'm on their advisory board. So I did a, um, and continue to um, be active in the International Franchise Association. I, mm. I'm a, a, I've just retired after six years on their board of directors. Yeah, and and uh, so I'm I'm been active in franchising, continue to be, um, and really try to bring a perspective of being both a franchisee and a franchisor. Yeah, uh, to um, you know the work I do. Yeah, in franchise. Well, I've, I I noticed that with interest because you've you've done it and you seem to be heavily involved in helping others who are doing it. And you've got the you, you've been on both sides of the fence as a franchisee yeah. and a franchisor. Yeah. So, what would you say is your number one insight that into franchising? Well, I, uh, probably. Um, I mean, I can go a lot of different directions on that question, but one thing that comes to mind is uh, that I only in recent years, maybe in the last ten or fifteen years, really came to the realization that issues in franchising cross across, you know, go across. Uh, concepts and brands uh, and are very universal. So, um, you know, for many years I thought because we were operating a, a direct mail advertising franchise company that didn't have royalties, we, our, our business model was that the franchisor essentially sells the the printing and the other services to the franchisees at wholesale, and they go out and you know sell it at retail. Yeah. So I, I, I thought I was different than McDonald's and different than you know all of the other franchise brands until I started to attend the franchise conferences um, mm. and get get active in the International Franchise Association, and I would hear conversations and. Um, I realized that these are the same issues we were having yeah. <laughs> in totally different businesses. Yeah. And uh, so, so franchising is franchising. And, you know, as I advise companies that are thinking of, of franchising their concept, perhaps they operate four or five restaurants that they think are franchisable. I, I, one of the first conversations I have with them is mm. to make sure they understand that franchising is a totally separate business from whatever business they're in. So mm. they have to um, realize that um, they're going to have to create a, an infrastructure. They're going to have to themselves be trained in franchising yeah. uh, to, re- to really be able to be successful at it. Just because you're a great restaurant operator doesn't um, uh, say that you're going to be a great uh, restaurant franchisor. So Ah. That's probably one insight. Ah, so it's fran- treating franchising itself like a separate business on top yeah, of whatever business you're trying to franchise. Correct. It's a skill set, uh, and it's a, a whole series of steps and concepts and things that uh, you have to get right, um, or you know you're not going to be successful as a franchisor. And those are pretty much the same things, the same issues, regardless of whether you're running an Italian restaurant or a junk hauling business. Uh-huh. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Do, do mm-hmm. you find that this is something that people hear you say this, but they think you're not, they don't really take it seriously? Or 
Uh, some do. I mean, the, the smart, you know, I can pretty quickly tell when I'm uh, talking to a newer um, franchise or whether they, um, um, you know, understand and whether they're going to be successful. I mean, the smart ones are going to say, why would I reinvent the wheel? There are tons of franchisors out there who have done it before, have gone through all of the steps in the process, have made all the mistakes. Mm. And and the interesting part is that most of those uh, franchisors are very willing to share yeah. and uh, share their experiences. And so, you know, kind of the smart franchisors uh, take the time to avail themselves of all of the knowledge and experience that is, is readily available out there through the IFA and other sources. Mm. And, of course, with the advent of the Internet, there's there's plenty of material to read and, 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 and understand. Now, that being said, mm. um, it's not unusual to see a new franchisor just simply say, well, I'll get to that when I have time. Mm. Uh, I, I think I know what I'm doing and, and just go plodding forward and, you know, uh, they get to about uh, 10 units and they wonder what the problem is. And, uh-huh. and uh, uh, the, the, the solutions were there all along. They just didn't, uh, you know, didn't go uh, find them. So, Do you think it's just the the same entrepreneurial spirit that got them into business that can be a liability when they it comes to franchising the business? Or is it you know, a number of different issues that keep people from grasping it? Well, um, are you speaking as franchisors? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, As as franchisors, um, you know, you'll have, um, you know, very often you'll have a founder who, you know, has an idea. Maybe he or she has built one unit or two units or three units in a local area. Somebody has told them that, um, you know, it's a franchisable concept. Um, But to really be successful as a franchisor it, it it does create does require this additional level of discipline and structure mm. um, and willingness to reach out for help that many entrepreneurs uh, don't have that you know they feel so confident in their own abilities that um, you know they don't they don't uh, build an organization uh, that's going to be required to be a successful franchisor because you you know you're going to have to have uh, um, you know your legal and finance and accounting is going to have to be on, on a whole uh, you know another level here in the United States an audited level mm-hmm. you're going to have to have franchise development you're going to have to have support um, and you know communications and public relations and mm. marketing and you know that if you have two or three restaurants maybe you have and maybe you don't have uh, mm. it's a, again it's a whole other challenge and uh, some of these folks are able to rise to the occasion and those that do sometimes get to 50 or 100 or 150 units and then it reaches a point where they decide it's time for them to move on and sell the concept to um, you know, uh, an operator or a company that specializes in taking um, a concept that has been built but is still uh, emerging and still has a great deal of upside potential, and then mm. they come along and, and buy the concept from the founder and take it to the next level. Aha. Uh-huh. So what are the sort of key inflection points? Because you mentioned some of the people who just go ahead trying to do it on their own, reaching around mm-hmm. 10. Are there some sort of, from your experience, um, definite points where you think if you don't have the fundamentals right, you'll start mm-hmm. seeing it show at this point or this point or this point, like a number of units or? Well, I, you know, it, it's probably a little different um, by concept, but generally um, you'll see 
mistakes being made early, such as you know they'll they'll um, you know register. Um, Get there. We have franchise disclosure documents. I'm, I'm a little foggy on the UK franchise law. So, but yeah. but here in the states, yeah. uh, you know, they'll they'll go to the effort to get registered, and um, then and and they'll start marketing on the internet, and they'll start getting leads, and pretty soon they've got 15 or 20 franchisees in 15 or 20 states, mm. which is very difficult to support. Yeah. Um, or they will sell territories that are too large. Uh, for an individual operator, or they will, um, you know, not uh, not uh, get the good legal work and have real problems in in the agreements, you know, that they're signing. Mm. Um, so, um, you know, I, I would say there there tends to be people who um, stumble around uh, on the way to 50 units, but then you know you get to uh, some level beyond that, and uh, where you have to get. Um, you know, build a larger home office organization, mm. and and some franchisors or some founders are, uh, you know, have the ability to to do that, and some uh, take that point and, and step aside and bring in professional management. Uh huh. How about the other side of it? As a franchisee, are there some common things you see amongst franchisees? Any like, challenges or things that they sh insights from a franchisee's point of view? Well, I think it's it's mostly a matter of figuring out uh, if there's a, a match. Uh, you know, the selection process is critical with franchisees, both with, from both the Zor and the Z side. For for franchisees, um, um, you know, oftentimes they will have a vague idea that they'd like to be in business for themselves, you know, but not for themselves, and they'll be searching around the internet, uh, um, the various websites to you know, discover business concepts that they think would work in their area or mm. that they could visualize themselves, you know, operating, um, you know, those kinds of things. Mm. Um, but I, but franchisees also have to, you know, on one hand, if they are, are um, they should not believe that just because they buy a concept, there's any guarantee that it's going to be successful. They're going to have to put in a tremendous amount of their own work in addition to their own financial investment mm -hmm. to make any, any concept work. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, so there's a tendency among some franchisees, if it doesn't uh, succeed as quickly as they would like to, um, uh, you know, blame the franchisor, blame the concept, uh, mm -hmm. uh, not, not take the responsibility themselves for, a lack of, of, of success. On the other hand, you have folks that are too entrepreneurial to be franchisees, yeah. and um, you know they get very frustrated because they um, um, think that the franchisor should be doing things that the franchisor doesn't think they should do. And and as systems get larger, um, you have often friction between franchisors and and the most entrepreneurial franchisees because. Franchisees, by definition, have a local view. Mm. Uh, they know their own operation, their own city, their own neighborhood, their own market, and they can't really see the whole system view. Mm. Uh, the only um, people who can have a view of the entire franchise system would be the franchisors. So sometimes franchisees have great ideas, but they're just not... Uh, they can't be implemented by the franchisor um, at all, or in in the time frame that some individual franchisee would like, mm. and so there, you know, there there can be frustration. So, 
uh, on one hand, if uh, you know people just buy into a system thinking it's going to be instant uh, guaranteed success or disappointed, you can also have disappointment if you're too entrepreneurial and you think you can do it better than the franchisor. Uh, mm. the, the best match is uh, folks who buy a concept, try to operate the concept, uh, gradually play a role in improving the concept, working closely with the franchisor, and um, you know, but realize that there are very few get-rich squ- uh, quick uh, schemes out there. Uh-huh. So in a way, would you say that a franchisee who's overly entrepreneurial in nature but still wants to be involved in franchising would do better with an early-stage concept, kind of like when you got started? Mm-hmm. Yeah, generally I would say that's correct. Uh, now, that being said, you, you have some very successful entrepreneurial uh, franchisees, multi-unit franchisees who build very large uh, companies as franchisees, mm. um, you know, operating hundreds of restaurants and, and sometimes hundreds of um, restaurants in three or four or five different brands. Mm. Um, and so, you know, sometimes you'll see folks who are, are entrepreneurial and they feed that uh, by just simply becoming very large franchisees of of uh, a brand or two or three. That's a brilliant piece of insight, Joe, because mm-hmm. that thing of giving them a way to scratch the entrepreneurial itch that still mm-hmm. works with the right. franchise seems to be key. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. So I was, oh, what was you brought up another question. Yeah, baseball. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's what I wanted to ask you about. Because um, it's connected, but how? Mm-hmm. When did you start playing baseball? Oh, I, that was uh, only in high school. So, yeah. um, and that 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 ended at that point. Uh-huh. Um, and I did uh, uh, some years later go to a fantasy camp with the Detroit Tigers. But uh, that was the <laughs> that was the extent of my baseball playing. All right. Because do you? Because you're also a sports broadcaster. Do you broadcast baseball yeah. games or? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, w- as I mentioned, uh, prior to the Valpac years in the 70s, I worked in radio and had an opportunity to be a broadcaster for a minor league um, operation, baseball operation in Virginia, and um, never really lost the interest, you know, in doing it. Mm. But, you know, went on to other things. And, you know, when opportunities would come along, you couldn't afford to take them because, you know, the other businesses were doing well yeah. and paid a lot more, quite frankly, than, uh, you know, a minor league broadcaster would be paid. And yeah. so I never did it. But but in uh, the 2000s, I had a, a fortunate break in 2003 uh, where I, I discovered that our one of our printing facilities for Valpac was near a a minor league uh, uh, team, double uh, A um, uh, baseball major league uh, team, yeah. and um, we had an employee night, um, appreciation night, one night at the ballpark up there in North Carolina. I ended up in the booth uh, being interviewed, yeah. and shortly thereafter started uh, uh, doing baseball play-by-play again uh, for the Carolina Mudcats, which I did for several years yeah. um, on a part-time basis, and and. Uh, uh, but uh, since I retired from Valpac, um, we've uh, expanded. We now um, have a, a, an annual national radio broadcast across the United States yeah. of uh, a major college football all-star game called the East-West Shrine Game, which is played here in St. Pete. Mm-hmm. And um, so, um, you know, once a year I'm in the booth uh, at Tropicana Field. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, we're on stations across the country. Uh, for that broadcast. So, you know, these are kind of hobbies, uh, yeah. quite frankly, but uh, 
uh, interesting ones and, um, um, you know, a chance to do some things that I thought I might have done as a career I'm, I'm doing in my 60s rather than in my 30s. Yeah, well, because the question I have for you is, as a broadcaster, did you, as you broadcast games, did you notice any insights into the teams that were doing well or like did some things just keep coming up you're broadcasting the game but you're noticing mm -hmm. things being done or not done and wondering if any of that directly related to franchising uh, well, you know i think maybe in terms of business um, but not necessarily franchising specific but yeah. uh, you know in, in baseball particularly because there are so many games um, you know major league team plays 162 games Mm. In a season, and, a, and then postseason, if they're fortunate enough to to move on, yeah. but uh, that essentially means they play every day. So mm. um, things, you know, you have to have a, a a player for every position. You know, you can't you can't play without a first baseman. Mm. Uh, you you got to have a pitcher. You got to have a catcher. Yeah. And um, you have to have uh, the team, you know, playing together. It's not a not a individual. Uh, you know, just because you have the greatest home run hitter on your team, if, mm. if all the rest of the players are terrible, the, mm. the, the team's going to lose most of their games. So yeah. uh, it really is a team sport, and my experience in, in business and in sales, uh, particularly in sales organizations um, on a local, regional, or national level, it really is the team. You have you have people who play different roles. You have you know there's a place for the for a new person. There's also a place for an extremely experienced person. Mm. Um, you know the team has to cooperate. There can't be infighting. Um, you know there can't be people with their own agendas. You, yeah. you know there has to be good communication. All of these things, I think. Um, and I'm sitting right here in Tampa Bay with a great example of a baseball team that uh, consistently, the Tampa Bay Rays, has consistently uh, overachieved for a small market uh, payroll mm -hmm. over the last several years because they have excellent management. Um, and uh, the, the manager of the team is, is one of the great uh, leaders um, that I have uh, really ever come in contact with, leader and communicator. And uh, uh, so, you know, they... they they make magic happen in that clubhouse, and yeah. I've seen in, in observing high-performing sales teams. I've, I've observed many times, you know, many of the same concepts I see going on with the Rays. Yeah, because because what I found interesting is seeing your career as a, a baseball player. Another person I interviewed also played in sports, and I wondered how much of a role playing, being part of a team in a sports setting, meant that you were teachable in learning a system which was a an indicator as to how well you could handle a franchising right. concept well you know it's it's interesting uh, now really not from my own personal experience but what i'm observing uh, the international franchise association specifically has initiatives in professional sports where um, we are working with the national football league uh... the, the uh, uh, NBA, mm. and uh, uh, where these leagues or major professional sports have programs for their current players mm. to um, uh, expose them to franchising because yeah. under, under the theory, you know, for example, uh, I may have the number a little bit off, but a, a, a professional football player in the United States in the National Football League, you know, has an average career of some very short period of time, like, yeah. I don't know, 3.4 years or four, 
you know, and they, they may make a, an astronomical amount of money in a short period of time, but by the time they're 29 or 30, yeah. uh, they're done. Their career's over. Yeah. And um, oftentimes the players uh, make poor investments, and uh, pretty soon they're broke. Yeah. And, uh, and they don't really have any skills, uh, and, and bad things happen. Mm. On the other hand, uh, through franchising, if a, um, a, a football player, while he is playing, is exposed to you know one of the many excellent franchise systems, mm. um, and it, well, first is exposed to the concept of franchising and how it works, yeah. which is essentially uh, an operating system, a playbook, coaches, you know, it's everything they're used to. Mm. Uh, so if they understand that concept, they become exposed to good ones, then, uh, you know, they can, um, and there are all kinds of uh, successful examples now of this, mm. where as they're still playing their career, they they begin a career as a franchisee, Yeah. Uh, maybe bringing in professional management to run it for them, but uh, they they uh, make a very smooth transition from professional sports, you know, into into business. Yeah. And in some cases, they're able to use whatever fame they may have, you know, uh, as a marketing tool. Yeah. Sometimes not, but uh, uh, we believe in franchising that there are many many comparisons, and that that a good team player. Um, um, at the college level or at the professional sports level, uh, can often make for a, you know a very successful franchisee. That's such a good idea that you're mm-hmm. getting in. You're not waiting for them to reach the end, and then they figure right. out you're helping them. Exactly. It's like kind of mm-hmm. a, somebody doing a relay. They start running before you get the baton. Yes. Uh-huh. That's really and and good. again, it, it it makes sense because you know you're used to op- if think about it, you're used to operating as a player under a you know, under a trademark, under a brand, you know, your team name, yeah. uh, you have a, a, a scouting organization, you have you have coaches, but most importantly, you have a playbook. And yeah. uh, um, you have a, a you know, a, a philosophy of operation, and that's exactly what you have in a franchise system. So the players seem to be able to understand that, and, uh, you know, those that take the initiative, um, uh, by and large, seem to be pretty successful, as far as I can see. Yeah, I'm going to risk going in a slightly different direction. We're mm-hmm. reaching the end, but one th- thought I had is um, because you've you're, you're crossed over, you've you've retired, but you're still involved mm-hmm. in different things. My yes. thought is about people who are retired and have their money in pensions, and I, mm-hmm. in the states you have 401ks. Mm-hmm. And my concern, because I've been just reading, is wondering what happens when people have been investing in something like a 401k, and then mm-hmm. maybe they reach the end and they're not where they have to withdraw the money, wondering about people starting from scratch. Imagine somebody who is retired thinking, I need to, I've got this money, what can I, where can I invest it? Wondering mm-hmm. how franchising could help with that, because I think there'll be quite a number mm-hmm. of people who have money and have to make it work for them, but yes. don't know where to begin. Mm-hmm. Well, um, uh, in the United States, a uh, company, that, and one that I am affiliated with, Benetrends, in, invented this concept of uh, finding a, a perfectly legal way to uh, move money that's in a uh, 401k plan, as they're called here, mm. um, into a corporation, into your own C corporation, in order to start a business, yeah. be it a franchise or a non-franchise business. So um, tens of thousands of you know uh, individuals have done this over the last 30 years. In the early years, it was kind of a, 
I don't know, a, a, a controversial concept. People thought that, that that retirement money was really for your retirement. And then mm. particularly in 2007 or 2008, yeah. uh, a lot of people saw their you know 401k become a 201k. Yeah. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, people said, began to say, well, you know, I could do better than that. Mm. Uh, you know, if I was really uh, investing it in, in something that had the ability to grow. So mm. uh, there are, we see dozens, many, many examples of people now taking not not all of it but a portion of um, uh, a 401k properly rolling it over into um, you know a, a, a corp your own corporation for the purpose of, of starting a franchise and, yeah. and taking that initial investment and building it many times over that's uh, such a good idea I didn't know about what was that company you mentioned uh, the company is Benetrends, B-E-N-E-T-R-E-N-D-S, and it's just Benetrends.com. Yeah. And uh, the company uh, is the leader in the United States, particularly in the franchising industry, uh, in uh, uh, financing. So not only do they do the 401k programs, but uh, uh, a big leader in um, uh, small business administration lending, yeah. uh, the, the SBA, and, um, you know, sometimes... Uh, uh, People will take a portion of their 401k and also uh, take out a loan with SBA backing in order to start a business as well. That's such a good idea. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'm going to put that in the show notes for this episode. Thank you so much. No, sure. Um, one, okay, we're reaching the end. Um, do you have any final words for the audience? It's it's made up of franchisors, franchisees, but maybe just I'm trying to think who for you to or just whatever comes to mind you know, from mm -hmm. this conversation. Well, uh, you know, I think that that um, it's you know very important to recognize that the relationship you know between franchisors and franchisees is is unique. Um, mm. You know, if you are a franchisor selecting a franchisee, or if you are a franchisee who's trying to decide um, which franchise to affiliate yourself with, you have to realize mm. that it's a big important decision. Yeah. Um, you know, you uh, you're in most cases signing up for you know at least ten years of something, mm. and it's very difficult to get out of a relationship. Um, and uh, so, you know, both sides need to be very very careful um, in terms of uh, this matter of selection. That's why we say you don't really sell a franchise; you award a franchise if you're mm. a franchisor. Mm -hmm. And um, um, for a franchisee, you want to really carefully do your due diligence. Uh, you know, read all the documents, make sure you understand uh, everything in those documents. Uh, don't gloss over the legal stuff because it's boring. You know, understand it, get necessary professional help, uh, mm. speak, speak to the existing franchisees, take the time to make a good decision because uh, it's going to be a decision you have to live with for some yeah. period of time. So uh, it's, a, um, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a great relationship when it works and when you have good uh, communication among all the, the people and uh, and the franchisor uh, spends a lot of time talking with, uh, uh, being with, and observing uh, his or her franchisees. Um, you know, when you have uh, representatives of franchisees uh, help with the franchisor's work through franchise advisory boards mm. and such, uh, you can you can really have a, a you know a wonderful concept uh, that grows and. Uh, uh, when it works, it's great. When it doesn't work, it's it's not great. But mm -hmm. it works. It seems to work most of the time. It's a great it, franchising is a great concept. Oh, that's great. Thank you, Joe. And sure. if any if any of the audience wants to reach out to you or find you online, what's the best place? 
Well, um, I have a number of different uh, websites, but probably just give you my email, which is uh, J O E. Uh, B-O-U-R-D-O-W, B-O-U-R-D-O-W at gmail.com is the All best right. way to reach me. Okay, I'll put that in the show notes and also a link to your LinkedIn profile. And Great. people can reach out to you there. Well, terrific. Okay. Yeah. Thank you so much. Well, it's though. been uh, great speaking with you uh, uh, this evening in uh, uh, somewhere in the UK, right? <laughs> yeah, in, in Wales, yeah. Terrific, okay. Oh, that's good. I'll put. I'll let you know when the episode goes live. And Great. Thank you so much for taking some time to talk to us. You're very welcome. I was happy to do it. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Let me know what you think by posting a written review on iTunes and visiting the website at otcfranchising.com. Talk to you soon.